Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Russia's war on Ukraine has now created more than 3 million refugees. As missile strikes continue, more than 700 of them from Russia into Ukraine, bombarding Ukraine's major cities. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky plans to speak to Congress tomorrow. Meantime, the ravages of war, not just affecting the Ukrainians, but also the Fox News family. Uh, we're mourning the loss of one of our cameramen, Pierre Zakzebski, um, and our correspondent, Benjamin Hall, has been wounded and is hospitalized, and uh, we are praying for his safe return. Uh, war is dangerous, and with that, we're going to bring in our panel. We're joined by founder and publisher of The Federalist and host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, former Tennessee congressman, co-host of The Five, Harold Ford Jr., and Fox News chief Washington correspondent, Mike Emanuel. Uh, Mike, let me start with you. This is tough for us on this day um, and to learn of this this news. I, I worked with Pierre a few times. He's been with our company for forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you were ever in an international situation, um, Pierre was the guy and uh, caught in the crossfire of a Russian shell uh, while trying to cover this war. Best of the best. And um, I remember us as younger people uh, going to places like Afghanistan and Iraq, and you're aware of the risk. Uh, but we have a job to do in terms of telling what's happening in these conflicts. Um, and it's heartbreaking when our beloved colleagues get caught in the crossfire uh, doing a first rate job, doing phenomenal coverage under a very dangerous situation, um, but obviously hitting close to home when it comes to members of our family. And so definitely uh, praying for all those involved and, and our colleagues who remain there on the front lines to tell this very difficult story. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult. Um, and, you know, Harold, I don't get a sense that this is slowing down. I don't get a sense that this, that anything that is financially hitting Russia, that is pinching Putin in some way, shape or form is having an effect. I just don't see it. So, Brett, I, I know you hope you're wrong in that, but I think you're probably more right than not. I want to extend my, my prayers to uh, to the family of the deceased and to, to Ben's family uh, and to him uh, as he fights through this. Uh, and I think you, uh, you and Chad said it well. 
in the next 24 to 48 hours, if not a little longer, Russia will likely miss a payment uh, on an important uh, set of payments that they have to make to, uh, to, to foreign to a foreign uh, to those who hold, hold foreign currency. This will be a big moment. We'll see how Putin reacts, and more so, I think you see how people of the country react. Uh, I think we're seeing examples of bravery and courage uh, from individual citizens and uh, from individuals, rather, and citizens of, of, of Russia whom are speaking out. Uh, some on television, we saw the, the incident where the, the, the protester held up a sign behind a state-owned, state Russian, Russian-owned Russian station. I've uh, seen uh, those arrested in broad daylight or abducted, arrested and abducted as they were talking to members of the press. I think he is feeling some pressure, uh, but is it manifesting itself in a way that we find uh, as a conventional way to measure if we're making if we're having success? Probably not. Uh, I also think that it caused us to not only think more broadly and specifically about as a nation about how we react to this, but hopefully it causes us to think about two other things. One, uh, and I think our policymakers are, but us as a country how we're thinking about China going forward, because this episode can clearly replay itself in Taiwan. or in ta- Taiwan, And then two, uh, I think a longer horizon, and we've, we've rightly so had this very heated conversation in our country about energy and energy security. That, that conversation should, should continue, perhaps with a little less decibel level, uh, but certainly the policy, we know what the policy should be, not just for America, but how do we help wean uh, other parts of the world, particularly our allies in Western Europe, uh, off of an energy supply uh, that could be manipulated. I hope that Putin is retired from all of this, and I hope the Russian people are, they have their place in the world community restored. And as a part of that place, Brett, I do hope they're able to sell energy products. But energy products being sold by tyrants, by, 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 by an autocrat, no. Uh, but the Russian people in a more modern economy, they should have the opportunity uh, to, to be able to participate and be full participants in the global economy. Uh, yeah. So as we think about energy security and our energy independence and Western Europe's energy independence, without Putin, Russia should be part of that conversation. But we've got to get to that point first. Yeah, but right now it is with Putin. And it's not only with Putin, Ben, but it's with, it appears, increasing Chinese help. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he's going to stay afloat. You know, this was an inevitable consequence, I think, that we could all see coming to these severe Western sanctions. The danger has always been, a concern has always been, particularly uh, among uh, realists who cautioned against uh, inflaming uh, sentiments toward Russia, that uh, taking steps like these would drive them into the arms uh, of the uh, Chinese in a way that would be more permanent, perhaps, uh, preventing Russia from uh, eventually, in a post-Putin future age, uh, be drawn more into the European experience, something that I think a lot of people have advocated for uh, with the mindset that Russia while they are an adversary to us, uh, do not represent the existential threat, perhaps, uh, that China does in the long term. Uh, But as we have seen, uh, this has played out, I think, as a lot of people could see coming, that uh, Russia has turned to China in their hour of need. Now, what form of support they're going to offer uh, is still unclear, uh, but I think we can trust the intelligence that has been uh, put forward in uh, public media now regarding uh, China's willingness to consider support. What does this mean? Well, 
China is aware of the, the Ukraine situation as a proxy war uh, in a way that I think we all should understand. Ukraine doesn't mean that much to China. Instead, what it means is sending a message about what a, a massive nation state like Russia can do to a neighboring nation that it views uh, as rightfully being part of itself. And the the risks associated with China taking a lesson from this experience that could be directed toward Taiwan, either in the immediate future or, or perhaps in the next few years, uh, has enormous implications, not just uh, for uh, Southeast Asia, but uh, for all of the world's trade uh, and uh, certainly the domination that that the effect uh, that would happen if China was to take Taiwan uh, would be massive in terms of their control of global trade and the way that it would affect uh, so many allies, which is why I think it's so important that these sanctions be tied uh, to directly to coming to the table, achieving a ceasefire, achieving terms uh, that can be uh, reasonably uh, applied applauded uh, by the West, uh, because if if the uh, situation is such that these type of sanctions turn to be permanent, we've seen around the world, Brett, uh, how the how permanent sanctions have had little effect uh, on uh, on the nations that we have applied them towards in terms of trying to affect regime change or something of the like. Um, and my concern is that we may end up in a situation where these sanctions don't go away. Putin achieves his aims to some degree within Ukraine, declares victory. Uh, and ultimately, this is a situation where Russia and China grow ever closer together and Russia separates itself permanently uh, from the European community and the West. Yeah, and that's a scary scenario. And Mike, you've been talking to people on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, the China dominance and the worry about China is is real almost more than it is about Russia, even though we're in this current situation with what Putin is doing in Ukraine. Absolutely. I remember covering the Obama White House and talking constantly about pivoting to Asia, their concern. They could see China on the horizon. And here we are all these years later. And um, China is a very real concern. A lot of uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill are basically calling on President Biden saying, you know, to stop leading from behind to really assert American power um, to take a stand and to do what is necessary uh, in Ukraine, not obviously starting a, a shooting war with the Russians, but um, a lot of Republicans on the Hill have been frustrated that uh, the president was not more aggressive in terms of getting those Polish MiGs to the Ukrainians to let them defend uh, their airspace um, and thought that he's been a little too cautious on that front and, and that the Chinese are watching all of this and China has great ambitions economically, uh, perhaps forcefully with Taiwan uh, and, you know, wanting to dominate uh its sphere of influence and and beyond and so uh yeah there are great concerns on capitol hill about the president's actions and or or lack of actions as it comes to um what russia's doing and what ultimately china may seek to do we'll hear what they have to say after this at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. 
That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Harold, uh, the president, uh, they announced he's going to Brussels for this big NATO meeting, which will be significant um, in, in coming days. And the thought of possibly getting to some negotiated settlement really comes down to Zelensky, who addresses Congress uh, tomorrow. Look, these are complicated times and complicated things. I think the president's right to go to Europe. Uh, you know, which I wish I could go back and reverse decisions from when I was in fifth grade in basketball. If I made a few more passes, right, I would have gone to a different high school or a different college for, for sports. But I think when some, you know, try to try to think back on what we should have done, what we should not have done, I think that's a wonderful exercise in a classroom again. So here we are in the real world. I don't know much more I would be doing differently than Biden, because I think we all know, and this is not a lesson anyone needs to have underscored for them. Uh, I'm one who believes we should have advanced weaponry to the Ukrainians before, but I don't, I don't get so intoxicated with that thing that I don't think about where we are now. And if we do do that, there could be consequences and certainly a no-fly zone. I think we should advance airplanes to them, but the White House has a position if we do that, that could cause us to find ourselves in a position that we would all then say, wow, we should have seen that this would have provoked World War III. So, I, again, these are hard, hard things. And even when Obama and team were trying to get us to, to pivot towards, towards Asia, there were some in both the Republican and Democratic parties that we can't leave Europe quite yet. I do have a point of difference with, with Ben on one thing, though. Ben, with regard to the idea of the Russians not wanting to come back into the European community, there is a long history of Russian, Russia and Asia and Russia and China in particular. Take out Putin and Z for a moment, and they're this, this singular or this moment here that it's convenient for both of them to want to align themselves with one another because of the, the animosity towards us. There's a long history on the other side. I would hope, I know you hope as well, that once once Putin is retired, and he will be retired at some point, we're all human and we're all we're all mortal. So the question becomes which line, which which side will they, which uh, world would, would most Russians want to live on the side of? And I think we have to continue. That has to be in the back, if not foremost in our minds as we develop policy. But I think our values, our democratic ways, our freedom and our independence, and I even think the way the Ukrainians are battling for their independence or defending uh, every inch of their independence, even as it is encroached upon and they, they, they uh, accumulate deaths on their side, uh, I think is instructive for perhaps how their brothers and sisters behave in Russia. Remember, it was, it was Vladimir Putin who called the, the Ukrainian people just a few weeks ago brothers and sisters. And we should all remember four weeks ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation because he hadn't invaded yet. So these sanctions are less than four weeks old. And again, I'm going to wish that we had done perhaps with we had advanced weaponry in advance. I think one of the instructive things for me for Taiwan is we had to provide them with weapons uh, to the extent that we possibly can now uh, in light of what could be, you know, a disastrous thing happening uh, with, yeah. with China. And because I agree with Ben 100 percent there. The proxy here and the real theater here is what happens with China and Taiwan down the road. And, and Chad, I mean, Mike, I didn't mean to call you Chad. I mean, I'm sorry for, for calling you by the wrong name. I haven't called worse. And it Thank sounds you. like you have a pterodactyl uh, attacking <laughs> you as well. It's a large air conditioning system. I <laughs> okay. All right. No worries. Uh, ben, I'll get you to respond to that. Yeah. But then also, you know, China speaking of Taiwan, puts out this statement on Saturday, which says any country that helps Taiwan militarily could feel the force of the Communist Party in China, you know, in this very bellicose language um, that was probably meant to scare people off. But, boy, it didn't sound positive. 
It, it didn't sound positive, though. I always wonder, Brett, whether those type of bellicose statements are coming from a position of strength or of weakness, <laughs> of, of, of concern uh, or of confidence, because usually uh, in a situation where uh, a statement like that is made, it should not have to be necessary. Um, and uh, and a similar uh, statement, obviously, was released by the Russians when it came to uh, Finland and Sweden, perhaps reconsidering uh, joining NATO. Uh, look, to, to Harold's point, and I don't think we're actually that far apart on this, there is a generational issue here that we ought to acknowledge. Putin and his surrounding class of strongmen are all in their 60s and 70s. They are veterans of the Cold War. Uh, they are Soviet in their mindset. Uh, and there is a younger generation of Russians who are their children and uh, and who have uh, enormous business in the West who have, you know, in uh, investments all over the matter. It's not just the oligarchs who have contributed uh, to London being referred to as London grad or Moscow on the Thames or things like that. There is an enormous presence and connection between this younger generation of Russians and the West. And they, I, I know this sounds like a laughable thing, but I thought it was significant when Instagram was shut down in Russia, uh, Instagram is enormously popular among younger Russians, and they want, I believe, to be part of uh, the the European world of, of the West. They would prefer it uh, to being part of uh, an axis with China. We shouldn't be trapped by that old thinking, but at least in the immediate term, the incentives are there for Russia to have a closer relationship with China uh, and the, the ramifications for that uh, for America, but also for our allies can't be underestimated. This is we should understand Ukraine as a proxy war. They are behaving as a proxy in this moment. When Zelensky is making the demands that he is uh, of the West, when it comes to a no-fly zone, support, et cetera, it, many of those demands are made from the same position historically that we've seen You know, proxy nations make uh, such demands, not necessarily because they believe they can achieve it, but because they're trying to drive uh, the window of what they can achieve. I believe in this moment, we, we have to understand that the old ways of thinking are still driving the conversation at the top level, the heights of power, even if there is an undercurrent of a next generation of leadership that we can perhaps be more hopeful about uh, in terms of in terms of the long term. We still have to get through this class of leadership that you know had to set the documents on fire as Putin himself did when the Berlin Wall was coming down and still view the world through that lens. Mike, last thing, uh, what's the consensus you think on Capitol Hill if you had to put uh, $100 in chips, whether people think there's going to be a negotiated settlement here or there's going to be a long, drawn-out insurgency? Uh, that's a great question, and I think there's a, a lot of different opinions with all the different players on Capitol Hill. Um, a lot of people worrying this could drag on for months um, and be very bloody and very grueling. Uh, some others thinking that when Putin... Um, gets control of basically the Black Sea that maybe he tries to declare victory and tries to negotiate some sort of settlement. And so, um, you know, lots of different players on Capitol Hill with a wide range of political uh, affiliations and or beliefs and uh, a wide range of opinions about how this all ends up. 
All right, guys, thanks so much. Uh, now for a bit of history. March 15th, 1965, President Lyndon Johnson delivered his We Shall Overcome speech to a joint session of Congress as the nation reeled from the bloody Sunday beatings of the civil rights marchers in Selma, Alabama. In that speech, Johnson called upon Congress to take up the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which was signed into law a year later. That'll do it for us this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Mike, Harold, and Ben, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.